Good morning. Hi. All right. I'm going to, does this go to someone, Alex, somebody? Mic stand, that always works. All right, cool. Let's do that. And I'm turning it off, whoever needs it. All right. Ruth, chapter four, if you would turn there. But before we start the timer, one, can you fix the amount of time? And I want to give you one more announcement. If you're a part of Generations, uh, if you've been attending for any amount of time, uh, you likely got a letter in the mail. And uh, I'm just going to, I wanted to explain it. You got a letter. We asked for an end of year gift. Like if you have the ability, not all of you do, but if you do, have the ability at the end of the year to give. Some of you are starting to think about taxes and need a tax write-off. That may not be the most godly reason, but we'll go with it, right? Like we're going to accept that and say, okay, good. Some of you would like to give, right? You would like to be generous. This is, as, as I think it was just Matt that just said it, that Jesus, the greatest gift ever given, he's given to us, we give in response, right? Uh, for whatever reason, uh, we, gave, we sent out an end of year, just if you can, here's where we ended the year. Financially, we did all right. We had a lot more expenses, especially on the building, than we expected. Our giving, like our tithes and offerings, was a little lower than we had hoped, but our random kind of rentals of the building, things like that, was a little higher, so it all balanced out. But as most of you know, and if you don't, uh, we can explain this to you. It's real simple. As of January 1st, the preschool is now ours. And so, yeah, we're really excited. So, we have like 51 little guys, uh, little guys and girls registered and starting. We had to hire some teachers this week. Licensing, all these things have been an incredibly busy process. But to be a part of our community, to serve well in our community, to provide Christian education from two years old to five years old has been a goal of ours since we got here. And it is an expensive venture to start up. And so we just thought, you know what? We'll put it out there. If you have the means or ability to give, please do. If you don't, please pray. Even if you do have the money, please pray, right? We need that. God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. If we get broke, he'll sell a few head. That's what I was always told, right? That's a very redneckish way to say he'll provide, but you get the point. All right, can you start my timer, please? Ruth, chapter four, we've been in the book of Ruth. If you're borrowing a Bible, there's one on the chairs in front of you, it's page 224. You will need it to follow along today. At the end of the message, we'll do what we call our takeaway. So if you're a guest today, at, we would encourage you to take some notes. There's a little note card in the chairs in front of you. Take a couple notes. And we always turn to one another in small groups, two, three, four. I say that, but there will be groups of 10 because they just don't listen to me. But we'll turn to these small groups and just kind of say, here's my takeaway from today's message, something I learned that I want to apply to my life this week. It's a great place for you to talk to your kids about the message. And kids, those of you that are following along with the handout, all those words in the search word are going to be in order today. I would encourage you, when you hear the word, go find it. So be listening for the word, and then go find the word in your little handout. All right? So here's where we've been. I want to put these two verses up. Judges 21 and Ruth 1. It says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's the end of the book of Judges. No leadership. Everybody doing what's right in their own eyes. You can imagine how well that went, right? Okay. Ruth 1 picks up with, in the days when the judges ruled, there was, no, there was famine in the land, right? So it's in this period of time where everyone is living as they choose to live, as they see fit to live. They're all like, this feels right in my own mind. 
sound a lot like today, right? We do what we think is right. It's subjective. Well, what's right for me may not be right for you, as if it's relative, right? And so this is kind of that era, and there's a lot of idolatry, a lot of disobeying of God. There's a lot of things going on, and that's the world we enter into for the book of Ruth. And we meet a family who actually leave because of that bottom verse that says there was a famine in the land. And everyone reads that to understand that the people were disobeying God. So God lift his blessing off of them, kind of taking them into a famine to turn their eyes to them. And this family, instead of turning to God, as others do in this area, they leave and they go to Moab. Moab, the Moabites were enemies of the people of God. And they had persecuted the people of God. And they didn't get along. So they're willing to go that far away from God. And, and the book of Ruth follows this story. And it's a story of this family who's, who's wandered away from God, especially this woman, Naomi, as she loses everything and she returns back to Bethlehem where she's from, but she returns bitter towards God. And so this story has been really about this narrative that takes place, but its implications on the woman Naomi. And we'll see that kind of come to its conclusion today. And so what we see is a dark time in Israel where people were doing as they want, not as God has called them to. We see a lot of that today. It's a very relevant setting for us. So here's a main idea. We'll put this note on the screen. God's providence and redemptive love. That's the theme for today. Christmas reminds us of how God acts for our good even when we cannot see him. We call that providence. God provides all we need in Christ so that we can live redeemed lives, transformed lives. For him, that's redemption. This is out of his love that God is always working and moving on our behalf, on, on the people who are his. Right? That God is acting on their behalf even when we can't see him or feel him or even when we feel the exact opposite like God's not there. God is doing for the good of his people. All right, Ruth Four, page 224, if you're borrowing a Bible. Verse 1. Now Boaz, when he had gone up to the gate and sat down there, behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. Let's pause just for a minute. So Boaz has been a main character in this. He's been a big part of the narrative. He is a wealthy landowner. He is a distant relative of Naomi's. Now that's important when we get to this next thing, a Redeemer. In this culture, 4,000 years ago or a little less than that, a little under 4,000 years ago. In this culture, women couldn't own property or business. And so it really went from the husband to the eldest son or to a son, and really they were to provide for their mom or to provide for their spouse or however that worked. And so Naomi has lost both her husband and her two sons, have no other kids, and so she returns back to Bethlehem with no one to really provide for her. Now they own land back in Bethlehem, but she needs to have a male to inherit that land from those who have died. She didn't have that. And so they're looking for what we call a kinsman redeemer, a redeemer of family, right? Family redeemer. They're looking for a male family member who will marry into this family and provide for this family, but do so in such a way that it will redeem that lineage, right? So you will, you will provide a son for this woman, in, the case, in this case Ruth, because Naomi's older, but that son will become a part of that family, not just yours, and you will redeem Naomi, you'll, you'll provide for her, but you'll need to provide for your own family as well. And so it's a very selfless thing, but it's built into God's law, right? So God has not just said what to do and what not to do, but how to care for people when they're marginalized. 
And so in that, they are looking for a redeemer. Now, Boaz is a distant relative. There's one who is closer. Boaz has agreed to marry Ruth, but he doesn't have the legal right to. There's one who is closer. And so here we enter into this story with the tension left from last week of Boaz committed to this family, but not legally able to act, not and honor God at the same time. Let's read verse 1 again. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and he sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. So the gate was kind of a, of that day was kind of the local courthouse, if you will. Kind of a civic center, town hall, kind of place where legal and business things were done. And so Boaz goes and sits at the gate. He sees the redeemer he's looking for, sees him come by, and he calls him to sit with him. They gather 10 elders. It's a quorum, if you will. He needs a certain amount of the elders in the city to sit with them as they decide this so that it is a legal decision. So this is God's law being lived out by God's people. And so Boaz has been a man of legal integrity because of his faith. His faith has caused him to desire to do the right things in all cases, ethically, legally, morally, spiritually. And just like we are called to submit to laws even when we don't agree with them, as long as they don't call us to worship someone other than God or prevent us from worshiping God, that we're called to submit to rules governing authorities, he's doing that. Now, I'm not saying he disagrees in this case. I'm just saying he's living that part out. He's submitted to God's law, and it's derived from his faith. Verse 3, then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative, Elimelech. Our relative, Boaz and this man are related. It goes Naomi and Elimelech to a relative of Elimelech to a little further out, another relative of Elimelech that is Boaz, right? This one in the middle is the closer one who has the legal right here. Now, Buying a parcel of land is not like you and I think of where we buy it, we own it, we keep it, we do with what we want. This would be to take it for a season of less than seven years, you would pay for it, <clears throat> and you would be allowed to now farm it or rent it out or do whatever you wanted to for that period of time, and you would gain from it, but the money you pay for it would go to Naomi to care for the widow. But ultimately, it would revert back to Naomi, its family land. So the Redeemer gets a benefit, but Naomi gets a benefit, but it also the land goes back to her. And so it's, it's, a win, it's, a, it's built to be a bit of a win-win, but there's some, there's some cost, right? And so, verse 4. Boaz says, so I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here, that's why the elders are there, and in the presence of the elders of my people, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know. For there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. <clears throat> and the man said, I will redeem it. Now, you'll notice in these first eight verses, the word redeem, or a version of it, is used about 12 times, right? You're picking up a theme here, right? That someone would come in and pay for something to redeem someone else, right? To care for someone who has no way of caring for themselves, in this case, Naomi and or Ruth, Right? who are widows with no husbands, no sons, and they're, they're kind of stuck. They, they have God's law to care for them, but they need someone to act. They need a man to come in and do something to provide for them. 
to redeem them, to give them some value and, and sustain them a bit. And so that's where we are in the story. This theme of redeemer, Pastor John last week emphasized that, that this idea of a redeemer, of taking something without value or nothing to contribute and giving value to it, redeeming it. So there's this choice now of this closest relative. And, and at this point, how he hears it is pretty much a win-win. Like for X amount of dollars, I can have seven years or six years worth of profit, of, of fruitfulness. Seems like a good idea, so he's in. Verse 5. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance. He says, now, when you do this, there's one more requirement. You also then are required to marry Ruth the Moabite and provide children for this family. And so I just want you to hear this and understand this. So if a man would go and redeem a family line, he would provide a son over here for that family, not his own son, right? For that family, but now these families are joined so that this family doesn't lose their inheritance because of hard circumstances, right? And so now this man is kind of splitting what he has between this family and his own family by this marriage and provision. You're kind of entangling these two families in order to perpetuate or continue this family. So he says, now, here's, here's the deal. If you do this, there's a lot of win here, but you also must do this, right? And I want to put this note on those choices here. Boaz, uh, we'll put this one on the screen, please, Ashley. Boaz desires to marry Ruth, but doesn't have the legal right. The Redeemer desires profits, but it comes at a cost. Both must choose to follow God's plan or act on their own desires. Their choices impact themselves and others. This guy who can marry in and provide for Naomi and then provide a son for Ruth, this guy can marry in and it'll benefit him in some ways, but it's going to cost him in some ways, right? Now, Boaz, he desires to marry in, he desires to provide, right? And, but he he either needs to submit to God and let the process play out because there's someone else closer, or he can skip the line, if you will, and be disobedient to God, even though it seems like he's doing the right thing because he's caring for a family. But the choices here really are, will I follow God God's way, or will I do things my way to my ends, even when they look godly, right? And that's the choices put in front of these two men, Boaz and the closer family member of the Redeemer. Verse 6, here's how it turns out. The Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Here's what he says. So if I do this, this is going to impact my family. In other words, I'm not looking at how it's going to impact this family over here that's in need. I'm looking at how it'll impact my family. Like it'll cost me a bit. So he declines, he says, you go ahead and do that, right? You go ahead and sacrifice for this family. He says, I'm going to take care of my own. You can see how this is shaken out. Boaz, who wants to honor God, risks what he desires in order to follow God's plan, right? The other one doesn't follow God and doesn't risk what he has because he wants to do his own thing, right? That's where we are. The cost is what stops the Redeemer from doing it. 
You see, this is kind of the gospel nestled into Ruth. Each week we've seen this as it, as it plays out. Right, that humanity is created by God, loved by God, desired by God, that we're designed to be worshipers of God, meaning we are designed that our lives should bring glory to God, that all that we do and say should bring glory to God, right? That we should be pleasing to God. We should be visibly transformed and changed by God as we live around other people, right? Other people should be able to see Jesus in us and desire to know Jesus through us, right? That's how we're made to be, but sin enters in and Sin destroys humanity and the world we live in and, and affects everything, and it, and it separates us from God. It, it, it separates us relationally from one another, from the world we live in, from God, from everything. And because of that, this entire existence is broken. Now, because we choose to sin, and, and if you're unfamiliar, sin is just this. You choose to go your way, not God's way. Simplest of terms, you choose to do what you want to do over what God wants to do. Boaz had that choice, does the right thing. The Redeemer has that choice and does the wrong thing. He chooses himself over God's plan. That's sin. In its simplest terms, that's sin, right? And so because we choose to go our own way, and, and especially us as Christians, if you're, if you're a guest here today, we, the church generations, we know we choose to do wrong things, even knowing the cost and the penalty, right? That we know. So we're not saying you sin, we're saying we sin. And so because we sin, God doesn't have to do anything he gave us Here's your choices. You, you could go either direction, and we choose to go away from God. God could leave us to that, could leave us to the brokenness we choose. But because of God's love for us, God provides a redeemer, right? Jesus becomes human, the Son of God, or the second person of the Trinity becomes human. That's what Christmas is all about, that Jesus was born in human flesh, eternal God, light of the world, as we heard read in Advent, becomes human flesh, right? That God becomes human to meet us where we are, to live a life that we're called to live, but we choose not to, to die a death in our place, to suffer in our place, to take the punishment of our sin in our place, that he is laid in a grave to forgive our sins, that he resurrects from the grave in order to give us new life, that we now in Christ can be redeemed people, right? Those of us who are destitute like Naomi or Ruth, we, we have nothing to contribute, and that's all of us apart from Jesus, all of us, because of our brokenness, have nothing to contribute to God. But God, out of his love for us, comes to us and redeems us, gives us worth and value through Christ. That is the Christmas story, that Jesus enters in to redeem us. That there is no Easter unless there's a Christmas. Right? You can't have him pay the penalty and resurrect and overcome evil if he never enters into our story. And so redemption, the theme, the love, the taking something of no value, which is humanity and our sins, right, or, or of no contribution to salvation, and giving us worth. But it's costly, like the man who didn't want to split his inheritance, or like Boaz, who is now going to provide for these families. It's costly. It cost Christ his life. Not only that, even in Christmas, it, it cost Jesus to, to become human, that he was God, all God, that he would leave the Father, that he would lay down or, or humble his divinity, that he would define and just confine himself to human skin and, and in a child, in a broke neighborhood, in a, in a poor place, and in hard circumstances, that Jesus began to pay the cost of redemption from the very moment he entered into human history. But through Jesus, 
we can be redeemed. We can have that value that God placed in us in the beginning that was lost in sin. We, we can have that reconciled relationship to family and to, to God and to God's family that we become transformed in him. He fills in all the empty places that sin has broken in us. The heartbreak, the grief, the sadness, the anger, the pain, that just I'm wired wrong inside. He redeems that. He fixes that. He heals that. He restores that. But at a great cost to himself. Philippians says it this way. Christ Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You see, the humbling, the sacrifice begins when Almighty God, Jesus, the, the Creator, the Word of God from the beginning, that, that He would shrink Himself down into humanity. That He would set aside His glory and His, His reign in heaven to become like us. One ancient church father about 17, 1800 years ago said, he, he became like us so that we can become like Him. That's the gospel. That the love of God is shown in His sacrificial giving us, to redeem us and reconcile us to himself. Verse 7, now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So we get a little author note, right? Here's how they did deals back then, right? We might shake hands, we, you know, might spit in our hands and shake them. We probably don't do that anymore, but that's probably a pre-COVID thing, maybe? Anyhow, so, right? Uh, we might sign a contract, agree, get a couple people to hear us. Okay, we got a bet, we got a bet. Okay, we got a bet. All right, everybody heard it, we got a bet. All right, so they exchanged sandals. A little creepy, but they did it, all right? Verse 8, so when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Now, don't ask me how he got home, I don't know. I guess with a limp, but I don't know. So I guess with one shoe. So that was the deal. He has a shoe, he has a deal now. He now has the right to redeem Naomi and Ruth, okay? He can now provide for Naomi through the land, and he will marry Ruth and provide a legacy. Verse 9, then Boaz said to the elders and to all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech, and all that belonged to Kilian and Malan, those were her two sons from chapter 1, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malan. I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are all witnesses this day. So he takes the sandal. He makes this commitment. He will provide for Naomi. He will marry Ruth. He will provide children for her, for this family, and for himself. He will intertwine these two families now and their legacies by his giving to them. So Boaz has continually done what's right in God's eyes. Boaz has cared for both Ruth and Naomi. Boaz went over and above. If you were here for the gleaning chapters, he cared for her incredibly, right? He's been a man of integrity. He's, he's been a godly leader over his business. His workers love him. His people love him. And Ruth loves him. He's made a commitment now to care for Naomi. He's made a commitment to marrying Ruth and providing forever for this family that they would be included in a legacy. Now just 
contrast this to where we began in Judges, where it says everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Right? That's what the Redeemer did. And, and I honestly, this is an opinion. I don't know if this is true or not, but I think that's why that Redeemer's not named. Right? Because he just does what's right in his own eyes, not what's right in God's eyes. Right? But we are highlighting here what God does for us, and we see that in skin or in flesh, if you will, through Boaz. Right? We see him, God, caring for this family. In fact, there's this overarching meta-narrative that really follows Naomi through this story. Like we get caught up in Ruth and Boaz and some of these things, this, this scene at the gate. But really, we're going to have to, we're, we're going to flip back to Naomi. And we've seen this woman who ran away from God. She endured a lot of hardship because of those decisions and then returned to God quite bitter. But then through God's providential acts, his care on her behalf, even when she couldn't see it, he is slowly winning Naomi back to himself. That God is slowly winning Naomi back to faith and love and trust in God. Last week we saw that where Naomi's actually joyful for the first time and her name means pleasant or joyful. And in chapter one, when she returns home, she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter, because God has been unfavorable towards me. So we've seen this journey for Naomi. We've watched as God orchestrates things behind the scenes that play out for her good. Even in times where she thought God was against her, God was orchestrating things for her good, to care for her, to love her. So if you're here today and you're struggling through life, there's been, oh, I can't tell you, this last month I can name a couple different deaths illnesses, surprise surgeries, we've gone through some stuff, others have gone through some stuff, like stuff, right? Just stuff. Sometimes Christmas is all yay, right? And family and friends and fun and, and, and celebration and church and, and all these things. And, and sometimes it's heartbreak. Sometimes Christmas just reminds you there's an empty seat at the table, right? Sometimes it's, Christmas is a struggle. We don't know how we're going to pay our bills. Nevertheless, keep up and, and oh, this person gave me a gift. I feel like I need to do something. Like Christmas is a mixed bag sometimes. And so we need to remember that even when things don't seem right, God is working. If you're in Christ, God is working on your behalf, even when you can't see him. At the end of this story, I want you to think of that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I want you to think about that and just look back at Ruth. This is a story of how God fulfills Paul's words in Romans. So let's restart at verse 9. Then Boaz said to all the elders and the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought, I want you to hear that word, I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech, all that belonged to Kilian and Malan, also Ruth the Moabite, the middle of way that I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead. Bought. What belonged to these men? Right? Very odd for our culture. Right? We don't buy people. Right? That's the greater sin in American history is that that was okay at one point. It's the greater sin of the world. It's happened since we can remember in, in history all over the planet. But women don't belong in that sense. We don't buy. Right? But in this culture, it really was about that. And there was a purpose for it. God had a purpose for setting things up this way, and it was to show us the story of Christ in culture. It was to teach us 
about what Jesus does for us. Right? It wasn't about ownership of people, or it wasn't about second-class citizens and women. It was about this narrative. It's like sometimes in marriage we think, oh, we can use the metaphor of Christ in the church to learn. It's actually the other way around. In church, we can use the metaphor of marriage to teach us about church. It's this. We can use the metaphor of culture to teach about what God has been doing all along. So he captures these narratives for us. So I'm going to give you two notes on the screen. Tie this one to that being bought by Jesus. Biblical redemption. People who have great need and no contribution, that would be to your own salvation, to anything good or saving. Through the love of God and great cost paid by Jesus' life and death, redeem us to have the value and purpose. Right? To have value and purpose in God. That Jesus' life and death and, and resurrection, that, that Christ's incarnation gives us that value. When we come to the conversation of salvation, the, the conversation of being included in God's family, to the, the conversion to following Jesus for the rest of our life, when we come to that conversation, we don't have anything to give. We don't put anything on the table to trade. All we have is our sin and our shame. All we have is our brokenness. But that's what Jesus wants. That's what he paid for. That's what he bought. He bought us with our junk, us with our sin and shame, that he might redeem us and give us what we were created to be, the value, the image of God within us, the indwelling spirit of God within us. He bought us, paid for, so that we could belong to him. That's why the story is so important. That's why the, the culture was built this way, to teach us this. Second slide is God's providence. God is using our challenging circumstances, even and even wrongdoing, or our, our sin often, to guide us towards his ultimate purposes and salvation. Consider Naomi's journey, right? Naomi's running away from God, like all of us from birth, right? They were all running away from God. God is pursuing us. We're not pursuing God. Naomi's leaving. After her disobedience, when God lifts his blessing, she leaves. She doesn't turn to him. She leaves with her family. And then she endures hardship after hardship after hardship. She loses her husband. She loses her son. She loses her other son. She goes through legit grief and pain. But God is using even hard circumstances to cause her to return. I'm not saying that God struck them dead. If he did, he did. If he didn't, he didn't. It doesn't tell us. But I'm saying no matter how it came about, God is using even her hard circumstances, even her disobedience, even her bitterness as she returns to Bethlehem. Again, God's providence was that there had been rain and food was growing in Bethlehem and she can return, right? She still has a home there. She can return. God's providence in bringing her back, right? God's using her, her circumstances, her pain, her grief, to draw him back. Maybe that's what we can turn our grief into this year. Maybe that's what we can turn our struggle into this year. Maybe that's what we can turn our pain into this year is a way to draw nearer to God, not to blame God for the pain we feel or the choices we made or the choices of the world, but to lean into God. Verse 11. 
Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who had many kids, that's the point, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. If you're interested, if you're a little bit of a Bible nerd like me, go back, read that story. See some of the parallels between Ruth the Moabite and Tamar and how God uses broken circumstances. So there's this joy and blessing coming from the townspeople, right? The the people are celebrating that Boaz is redeeming this family. They're, They're celebrating for and with this family. Verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her. And the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. There's this, kind of in this little simple sentence in here, there's all of a sudden this hope and joy, right? That, that through this, there's been this Naomi who lost everyone. There's been this barrenness scene. Ruth never had kids when she was married. Neither did Orpah, the other daughter-in-law who stayed in Moab, right? There's been this emptiness of children. And now all this dynamic plays out between Ruth converting to following God and going out and gleaning in the fields and Boaz caring for her and the workers caring for her and her providing for Naomi and Naomi slowly working her way from the bitterness over kind of to hope in God and, and now to joy in God. We've, we see this story kind of move from here to here and, and now that, that everybody is, is championing and celebrating what God has done for them and, and seeing that living the way God calls us to live is actually what is fruitful and joyful. Now we see Ruth and she's pregnant with a son that God is bringing to fruition all that this family needs. Verse 14, it says, Now when the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. Naomi, God has provided a Redeemer for you. Blessed, Naomi, God has provided for you. They're celebrating and worshiping and knowing that God has provided for Naomi. Again, Naomi, due to her disobedience, was miserable and, and, and the circumstances of the people around her. So it was, some of it was just culture. Cultures get far away from God too, right? Naomi hits rock bottom in her grief and the loss of her husband and then eventually her two sons. Naomi returns to Bethlehem, bitter, unhappy, blaming God. Ruth, however, converts. She begins to follow God. She gives her life to following God. She begins to care for Naomi, right? Ruth begins to provide for her because of what God has provided. God has given a system that will care for her. She lives in that. She meets Boaz. Boaz is a generous man who has plenty, and he treats her better than, than they need. He gives to her like she's a worker in his, in his field, and he blesses him. He sends her home with extras to care for Naomi, God slowly begins to redeem Naomi through the actions of everybody around them and ultimately shows his providential care for Naomi through Ruth and Boaz. Verse 14, let's see that again. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. God has restored her lost family with a new family. God has restored her care through a redeemer. 
God has restored her name in the community. The community is blessing her now. And most of all, God has restored Naomi's faith by loving her. Naomi is now redeemed. The wandering, bitter, disobedient, out in Moab, Naomi is now redeemed and beloved and cared for and worshiping God. Verse 15. He shall be to your restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Why don't you just hear those words? From redeem to restore to nourish. That's what is said to Naomi. That God has given a redeemer. He will restore you in your old age. He will nourish you. I think about my life, and like Naomi, I made all my own bad decisions. Uh, all my own, knowing they were wrong, made those decisions. Not as a follower of Jesus, as a follower of what I wanted to do in my own life. Got me to the point where I was uh, just ultimately miserable and literally in prison to my own sins, right? That I, my choices literally enslaved me, right? It just had taken over my life. Today, the story of my life is barely seeing how these two lives are connected. That this life I lived is so far away from me that it really, it just is amazing that, that, I, that I had to live so different, so redeemed, right? And that God would providentially, out of his love for me, allow me to be an idiot, which I was, right? I got told the other day by a preschool mom that her kid isn't allowed to say that. So if you're young in here, you didn't hear that. All right. <laughs> Bad decisions like that one, right? Okay, so, but I've been a knucklehead. I think I can get away with that one. Thank you. All right. Made my choices, lived in them, but God used them. God used them to steer everything to get us here today, right? You're a part of that journey. I'm a part of that journey. Here we are. God's providence, even in the hard, even in the bad, should get us to this point. My life is so different today, it is not defined by that. It's not defined by my worst decisions. It's defined by Christ's best decisions and victories in all ways. God has given it all back and more. Verse 16, then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. I just watched as Christina took Noah out, right? A grandma taking out the grandchild. That, that's what's going on right here, right? We get that. Verse 17, the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. A son has been born to Naomi. Because she lost her sons. She's older and barren. She can't have sons. But she had a daughter-in-law stick it out with her. She had someone who loved her and loved God enough to stay with her. And now that Ruth has a child, it is a, a son for Naomi. Yes, we know it's her grandson. There's a boy. She gets to celebrate that as well. That's where this story brings us, to this beautiful child, Right? I know we've got multiple pregnancies in here. I know we've obviously a newborn. We know the joy and life, right, that that brings. And it reminds us that Jesus entered into our story that way. He became a child, humbled himself to, this, to, to a child so that he could experience our lives the way we were meant to live them. Not just to model it for us, although he is the model 
but to then trade that life, that perfect life, that fully God, fully human, perfect life, to trade that for ours if we will abandon everything else and live for Jesus. If we will not let this world define us, but rather Christ in us be our definition. If we will do that, Jesus has promised to redeem every inch of our life. So some thoughts today. Boaz imitates God by purchasing redemption for Naomi and Ruth. He sacrifices greatly, giving us an example of what personal cost Jesus gave to redeem us. The Lord is not against, that's number one. Number two, the Lord is not against Naomi. When she is bitter and against him, he's still for her. God, much like the world we, uh, much like the world we live in, we miss what God is doing. We can't see what God is doing sometimes because we're surrounded by what's around us. So God is working beyond the scenes to provide a great future for her. God is not against you. God is for you. God loves you, that's the story of Christmas. That God loves you and entered into this world for you, no matter what you are, who you are, what you struggle with, how you have lived. God is for you. The world Naomi and Ruth and Boaz live in is one that is not following God. It's a lot like our world. However, God is providing a future for them that they cannot see or imagine even though they don't deserve it. God deserves our worship and obedience even when we cannot see God's good intentions. He deserves our, worth, our worship, our value, our, our lives. Fourth one, Ruth is given a son, Naomi a grandson, but not everyone is included in redemption. You must turn and live for God, for him to redeem and bless you, for him to apply redemption to you. So takeaways. What is your takeaway today? Each week we turn to one another, we share something we heard, something that stood out, something that calls us to application. And so I want to give you a couple ideas. Myself, I am the one who needed costly redemption. I know that. I want to remember every day, not just at Christmas, how far God has brought me, and I want to share that redemption with others. For those who've been walking with Jesus for some time, Boaz imitates God by purchasing redemption to deliver and bless Naomi. How can you, we, imitate the Lord and sacrifice so others meet Jesus? If you're new to faith, your faith came when you had nothing to offer. And all you had was a great need. Jesus met you right there. Meet others as God met you and share Christ with them in their need. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus, you don't wake up every day thinking, okay, Jesus defines my life rather than anything else. If that's you, the gospel message has two important points. One is the offensive truth that you have nothing to offer God. Two is that that's okay because Jesus meets our needs and our brokenness and pays for our sins. Receive this free gift. Live in this for 2024. Kids with parents, or parents with kids, either one. It works both ways. We learn a lot from our kids. Make sure this year is more about the sacrifice of Christ becoming human and less about the commercial side of Christmas. Jesus gave everything. Let's focus on that. Take two, three minutes. Turn to someone around you. Smaller groups are better. What is your takeaway?